As an organization who works with victims and survivors of violent crime every day, we know all too well how hard it can be for a victim to come forward with their story. Today's guest is someone who has experienced not only criminal victimization, but physical illness as well. Nevertheless, she chooses to share her story. To play the hand that's been dealt you as courageously and elegantly as you possibly can. So what does that mean? Well, for me, it meant turning my pain into purpose, leveraging my celebrity for the greater good. Somehow making me feel like, okay, I'm not glad I had cancer or was a victim of a violent crime. I don't wish it on anyone. But because of the life lessons that I allowed myself to see and how I adjusted my life as a result of that has made all the difference in the quality of my life. We are honored to have Brian Drescher, beloved and best known as The Nanny on The Balanced Voice today. As a survivor of sexual assault, and uterine cancer. We're thrilled for the opportunity to sit down and hear about how she has transformed her trauma and illness into a national movement. She's the founder of Cancer Schmancer, whose mission is to empower women to advocate for their health and well-being through prevention, early detection, and policy change. In today's balanced conversation, we ultimately answer this question. How can we transform hardship into positive societal change and leave a lasting legacy. Without further ado, here's your host, Brenya Mancarios. Well, welcome to the Balanced Voice Podcast. I'm super giddy and excited today to welcome Fran Drescher. Oh my gosh. I've grown up with you. I've grown up watching you. I think I watched every single episode of The Nanny, Emmy-nominated actress. I'll give a little bit of a bio who captured lightning in the bottle with her hit series, The Nanny, The Flashy Girl from Flushing. We just love you. Um, crime victim turned, offer, uh, turned author in your book, Enter Whining, cancer survivor turned advocate and founder of the Cancer Schmancer Movement. So much going on with you, Fran, and we're so thrilled to have you. Welcome to the Balanced Voice Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, we're both coming out of COVID, and I know that you were very, very active this last year, um, creating an uh, Corona uh, Corona Care for You, which I thought was so compelling that you took your the initiative to do that. Talk to us a little bit about what you did this last year. Well, you know, I. I uh, founded an organization called the Cancer Schmancer Movement, and we're outside of the box visionary thinkers that are trying to pivot the way we look at dis-ease and poor health and uh, look more towards ourselves and how perhaps our lifestyle, the way we manage our stress, um, the things that we expose ourselves to on a daily basis, um, is actually impacting our health and compromising our immune system. I've watched oh, so many of your interviews. I've read so much of your content. I've gone back into the very early years where you were uh, the victim of what uh, one of the most difficult things a woman a woman can imagine going through the comfort of your own home. You're having dinner with your husband and friends and to have somebody from what I understood, break down the door. Um, and you, you'd speak later in my 
after listening to you, and I might've misunderstood this, but you speak later and you connected what I, it sounded like to me, the dots between what happened to you that night. And I want you to talk to us about that. The difficulty in dealing with it as so many women will relate to that. And then the specific type of cancer that you got, and I might have stretched too far to connect those dots, but I really heard that in what you were saying. First of all, Frank, can we can we start there? You know, our organization looks at victims of crime and we keep saying we talk to people across the world and we have so many different opinions and religions and cultures and we rep- man, woman, we represent so many different things. But we all agree universally that the health and the safety of ourselves and our loved ones will universally bring us to our knees. And we saw that this last year with the pandemic and we see it in our lives all the time. You are one of few people that you've actually experienced the trauma of both. Can you talk to us about what happened to you that night and how you developed those 10 years later to create this incredible book that now women walk up to you and ask you to autograph and autograph specific chapters on, on the abuse that you endured? Well, that night, um, uh, uh, a man and his brother uh, who I didn't know and was on parole, um, broke into the house, broke down the door. And uh, it was a horrific experience. Um, And me and my girlfriend were both raped at gunpoint while the other person loaded up my car with many of my possessions And, uh, you know, it took me a good year to pull myself together in a way that I felt close to myself. Uh, It's a very challenging time when you're violated in that way, and especially in your own home, because then you don't feel safe at home anymore either. Um, But... um, I wanted to write, and I think that I was still at the time very much in the mode of being like a superwoman and just getting on with my life. I lived okay. Uh, It would be an indulgence if I spent too much time dwelling on it. It's over. Uh, They caught the guy. He's in jail for, you know, two lifetimes. So you know, just get on with the business of living. And I really didn't dig into the personal pain that endured deep within. It wasn't my MO then to do that. I had to learn how to do that for myself. And I think that that was something that came from early childhood when my sister was actually the sickly one. And it brought my, you know, parents and the home a lot of stress and um, pain. And uh, I think that I adapted um, the personality of being the needless child. I desperately did not want to burden my parents any more than they already were. And the attention or accolades that I received was because I was so easy and I never asked for anything and I never 
wanted anything. And I spent a lot of time by myself in my room being quiet. So that was, you know, what shaped my personality in being a needless adult and helping other people, putting other people's needs above my own. So when this happened, I really wasn't skilled at really looking at my own pain. I was much more skilled at pushing it out of the way, pulling myself up, dusting myself off and getting on with the business of living my life. And uh, the pain that I endured festered and was compounded by the stress of a uh, painful separation years and years later. Uh, a lot of stress from uh, writing, producing, sometimes directing and starring in The Nanny. And I think that when you have a very painful experience, and this is actually very Asian in its thinking, Asian medicine, um, when you have a pain that doesn't, that you don't deal with, emotional pain, where you end up getting sick makes sense. It's almost poetic that I would end up with a gynecologic cancer after being raped and not really, really dealing with my pain. This Balance Conversation is made possible by Brigitte and Bashar Kalai, Hallie Vanderheider, Sippy and AJ Karana, and Deepwater Productions. If you're interested in furthering our mission of facilitating balanced conversations, offering real solutions, contact us at thebalancevoicepodcast.com. That's so important. You're making a very clear um, uh, alliance. And I know that you're, you're saying that that's, that's found in Asian medicine, holistic medicine, possibly, but it's really important to explore that because how, you know, if you, if you talk a lot and you've spent time and I know the book came out, I think 10 years after the assault, but all that time, something's festering because we, as women oftentimes don't know how to deal with these things. We, we don't, we think there are a lot of tools and resources for us, but they're not. And especially, you, you know, you talk about your childhood and what you had trained, how you trained yourself to behave. A lot of women have trained themselves to be quiet train themselves to just provide solutions, train themselves to hide whatever they're dealing with. It's amazing to me. And that's why I love the fact that you say dis-ease, like it's so simple, but it's so huge um, to connect to, to very powerful things like a trauma, a crime and abuse to a, to a physical ailment like cancer. It's, it's huge to me. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I can't, you know, reinforce enough the importance of feeling your pain. And just recently, uh, somebody said to me that in observing buffalo out in the prairie, when there is a huge storm approaching, the buffalo instinctively run towards the storm because they know that they're gonna get through it that much faster. And we have to 
do that too. We don't. We try and avoid the pain. But it's unavoidable. And you have to know that. It's going to come back to haunt you. And so you might as well just give up to it, feel it, and get to the other side as quickly as possible. Um, I have since learned how to do that because I did not do that for the rape. Then the universe hit me over the head with a sledgehammer. Okay, you still haven't learned the life lesson you need to learn by means of putting yourself in the equation of your life, allowing yourself to feel vulnerable, asking for help when you need it, rather than thinking that you have to carry everybody else, let someone carry you for a change. So I got diagnosed with the cancer. And that's more of a philosophical way of looking at why bad things may happen to good people. There is always opportunity in it. Not that you want it to happen. Nobody wants bad things to happen to them or their loved ones. But, you know, I tend to practice Buddhism. And in that, you know, philosophy, you're kind of retrained to think, to ask, how can I see an opportunity in this terrible depth of despair? What is being presented to me? And invariably, if you set your mind to look for it, you will eventually come to terms with something that will actually change you for the better. It's life lessons. Growth is painful. That's why they call it growing pains. And at some point, you're going to either be stuck in this wasn't how it was supposed to be, this shouldn't have happened, and you'll be kind of embittered by that uh, stagnation. Or you're going to choose to play the hand that's been dealt you as courageously and elegantly as you possibly can. So what does that mean? Well, for me, it meant turning my pain into purpose, leveraging my celebrity for the greater good, somehow making me feel like, okay, I'm not glad I had cancer or was a victim of a violent crime. I don't wish it on anyone. But because of the life lessons that I allowed myself to see, and how I adjusted my life as a result of that has made all the difference in the quality of my life. I am a much more well-rounded individual. Now, the circumstances of my life led up to my needing to be a superwoman. But as an, and maybe it helped me to survive as a child, maybe, I don't know. But as an adult, frankly, it was not serving me well. Everybody has to be connected to their pain. They need to be able to be vulnerable as well as be strong. And then you're a more well-rounded 
human being. And as a result of that, you know, I'm far more compassionate, uh, empathic, sympathetic. I'm a better actor because I'm more in touch with my own feelings. When you can't or don't allow yourself to feel your own pain, how can you really feel someone else's? You can't. So true. You, you can't. can't. That's so true. I love in one of your interviews, you said, you know, you put yourself to back, you put yourself back together. You'll never be the same, but you can put yourself back together. But, you know, in reading about you, even from, you know, we always think, I'll take a step back. We always look at people like you, people who have reached ultimate stardom, um, you are an icon for being you. I mean, it's unbelievable. You, you've, your show, The Nanny, is I think in 80 countries still. You are so loved. And that has to require some, you, you have to just be special. <laughs> you know, I don't know how else to put it. And I was going back and I always, when I have the opportunity to talk to somebody like you, I think, how does the average woman, what can we pull from this for the average woman. And I was really, I fell in love with the story of you finding your success and, and seeing how you took hold of the most random, unbelievable opportunities and turn them into something so positive. And I think you've carried that on your whole life. But it, I, I have to ask you if we can go back to that time too, even before some of you know the cancer for sure, you the story of how you became Fran, the nanny. I mean, the trip to, I think, Europe, to, to Paris, maybe, or France, and the flight that you randomly got on. And can, you know, for the young girls watching this, there's hope in that story, and there's such smartness. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, um, you know, I live by the Latin saying carpe diem, which means seize the day. Because opportunity is constantly knocking. And are you going to answer it or are you going to get in your own way and talk yourself out of it uh, because of a story that you're playing in your head that's not serving you well? So um, there are things that I've experienced. I, I mean, I could go back to even... When I was like uh, in middle school and I got a summer job and I was working as a cashier in a supermarket and my parents and my sister came through my register with all kinds of snacks to go to the beach together. And, you know, they left and I was still standing there. And I thought to myself, I don't like this feeling. I don't want to stand still in my life. I got to be the one that's moving through the line and going on to something that's fun and exciting. And so when I was making career choices to enter a special career um, uh orientated school, um, I decided that even though I like teaching, 
I would not be a teacher because I won't be happy standing still in the same classroom while all these young people keep passing through to go on to their life and I'm getting older standing in one place. Even though it's a noble profession, I knew it wasn't for me. And so everything becomes a life lesson for my decision-making. And when I was starting out as a young actress, and I think I was either still in high school or maybe just fresh out of high school, but still a teenager living at home with my parents, I got an audition to go up on a commercial. And from my house where I lived with my parents to get to this commercial audition, I had to take um, like two buses and a train to get to it. And I got, I got all dressed. I blow dried my hair like Farrah Fawcett. I did my makeup so perfectly. And I took the two buses and the train to get to this audition. But when I got to the audition, I got in my way. I held back. I felt a little self-conscious and I knew I didn't get it. And on the ride home, the train, and the two buses, I was riddled with such regret. Why did I bother getting all ready and schlepping into the city on two buses and a train only to get in my way when I got there? And I realized then that the feeling of regret was far worse than if I had just dived in the deep end and got out of my way. So that became another life lesson, a life lesson that I remembered, I'm going to say like 25 years uh, or, well, not 25, maybe 20 years later when I was on uh, the plane um, going to France and the president of CBS walked on the plane too. Now, I had just done a short-lived series for him with Twiggy and Julie Agate, and I knew who he was. And I said, Jeff, and he said, Fran, and I thought, thank you, Lord, and I ran into the bathroom to put some makeup on. And as I was putting on my makeup, yeah, I, was, I was saying to myself, carpe diem, carpe diem, seize the day. The, and remembering, recalling that teenage girl that I was so many years ago. So I was like 34 now, and then I was probably like 17. So you do the math. And, you know, I'm still recalling that life lesson. I saw it as a life lesson. I knew why it was being presented to me, and I harked back to it when I was here in this situation. Now, this guy was going on a trip. I didn't, you know, I could have easily said to myself, you know, don't bother him. But I didn't. I thought this is an opportunity of a lifetime. And if I don't take advantage of it, if I don't answer this knock, if I don't push this door open, then, you know, I'm missing an opportunity of a lifetime and I'm not going to do it because then I'll have very bad regret. And living with the regret would be worse than if I just pushed myself on the dude. 
So that's exactly what I did. I came out of the bathroom. I started talking to him. And uh, nine and a half hours later, I kid you not, he finally threw up his arms as we're pulling him to Charles de Gaulle and said, okay, when you get back to LA, call my office and I'll set you up with the head of community development because I had already in my head manifested that I was going to get on the inside in a big way or get out of the business because that last series and the pilot I did before that and several other jobs taught me that I really need to be in a position of control Uh, because most of the people that were hiring me, I didn't feel were as talented as I was. And it was very frustrating for me. That's not the case for most people. But, you know, it is for me. So I said, I got to get on the inside or get out. There's other ways to make money, but I can't sell my soul artistically. And um, so after that, I continued on with my trip. By the time I got to London, that was when I thought of the idea for the nanny. And uh, I called Peter back in LA and I said, I think I got an idea for what we should pitch to CBS. And I said, what do you think about a spin on the sound of music? Only instead of Julie Andrews, I come to the door and we'll call it the nanny. And Peter only thought for a minute, he's got a very good instinct for these things. And he said, that's it. That's the show we'll develop and pitch it to CBS. And that's exactly what happened. And we started, you know, jumping the hurdles immediately. They, they green-lighted it. They bought it, the idea on the spot. And it was, it's an international success, an iconic sitcom that is still so popular today. I was reading about guest stars, Elizabeth Taylor, Elton John, Rosie O'Donnell, Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, the list literally went on. And I love the fact that in one of your interviews, you said that an acting teacher had said, I don't know if if they were saying like, you couldn't be yourself or there was your voice, which is so iconic and your tone and everything, which is just so iconic was actually going to hurt you in the high school I think that the high school teacher uh who was part of the uh drama um school in within the high school uh that was the career I chose theater careers um he was basically feeling like if I didn't work on my voice it would be very hard for me to be cast in most parts and uh, How wrong he was he? W- didn't really see that uh, as a comedian, having a funny voice with a pretty face was something that was rare and, uh, and, and really uh, a good slot because there weren't that many people filling it. Peter knew, even though he was my age, and we were half the age of the teacher, Peter knew. Peter said, you're a star as is. And, uh, you know, you're going to make it because of the whole package. As the second season of the Balanced Voice podcast comes to a close, we want to know what has been your biggest takeaway from this season's conversations. 
head to our Instagram at the balance voice podcast to let us know. Anyone who messages us will be entered to win exclusive balance voice merch. We can't wait to hear from you. I want to switch gears because I know your time is limited to talk about what you're doing with June being national cancer survivor month, but I just want to add, you know, I didn't realize until I was going back that you danced with John Travolta and Saturday night fever. I've seen the movie many times and I now look at it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's Fran. I can't even imagine just everything about you. So iconic. Um, what that was like that you also auditioned for Saturday well, Night Live. That, that was my first movie. And I think I was, you know, 17 or 18. He was in his early 20s, but I was watching him on Welcome Back Cotter. So I was like a huge fan. I was still living at home with my parents. And that was my first part. And, you know, years and years later, we were both on a um, red carpet for the Golden Globes. And he was next to me doing an interview and I saw him. So I stepped into his interview and I said, are you as good in bed as you are in the dance floor? <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course he knew who I was right away and expressed, you know, such joy for my success. He's a very, very sweet man. And uh, I, remain to this day a big fan of his. I want to just ask, as you look at how the the industry's changed and you're um, such an integral part of the industry, and I know you have so much coming up with The Nanny on Broadway and so many things that you're working on. And again, we have to talk about um, your um, uh, June and what you're doing this month. But I have to ask you, because we ask when we have people like you on the podcast, when you look at today, the trends today and what people are doing to be seen and consumed and become famous and strive for success. Are you excited by the many avenues to show talent? Are you worried? Um, Are you thinking it's short-lived or this is just, we have to wait and see? Because we look at it and we worry. We also study a lot of the sort of nexus between mental health and social media and solicitation of minors and social media and the exploitation of young girls and using that to help them be seen and then them thinking that that's fame. And so we look at it, but you're, you're in the industry and you know probably better than most how all of this works together. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, this is, we're kind of in the wild west of um, internet, social media, um, and uh, for that reason, I think it's important for parents to pull in the reins, to spend a lot of time talking with their children, and really differentiating between what's cool and what's appropriate and what's beneath you because you're better than that. But that takes a certain kind of parenting that builds up a child's sense of self where they don't have to be so exploitive and attention getting to feel of value. It's the wrong kind of attention. 
But the right kind of attention, of course, is very focused parenting and unconditional love and encouragement and nurturing. My mom told me when I was a kid in middle school and thinking, should I take typing or should I take, you know, some other uh, class? And my mom said, without even taking a beat, you don't need to learn how to type because you're going to have a secretary. And, you know, that kind of belief is invaluable when you're shaping a young mind and heart, um, you know. And, and so uh, it is a difficult time to be young for those reasons. Also, it's a scary time. And there's a tremendous amount of violence and division. But then out of that unrest comes people that have taken to the streets in very proactive ways that are really making a difference, that are organizing in a very intelligent, thoughtful, meaningful, productive, proactive way. And I think that, you know, young people need to pivot their focus on that because everything else in the airwaves is really um, a flash in the pan. And it's not deepening your spirit, your purpose for being here. It's not helping the greater good. It's not advancing you spiritually or as a human being in where you need to go in this life. And um, so, you know, it's a, it's a time where to exercise great discretion. Listen, you know, I always said, I would never, ever, you know, hook up with a married man. I'm not going to compromise a sister for what? There aren't enough fish in the sea. You got to narrow the pool somehow. Well, you got to set the bar for yourself. Who are you? Are you going to walk the talk in this life? Are you going to elevate, you know, do you know right from wrong? All right, what kind of an influencer are you really? And uh, listen, I've turned down massive amounts of money for products that completely go against the mission statement of the Cancer Schmanza movement. And I would have liked to have made that money. But if I'm not a person of word and deed, who the hell am I? So, you know, I turn it down and maybe I'll live a little smaller or I'll sell something until the next opportunity comes along. But better that and, you know, have your dignity and be a person of word and deed, which is really everything. So that's my answer to that. 
And I don't want to forget about this Sunday, Father's Day. That's, yes, that's the next thing. So the Cancer Schmancer so Father's Day, Yes, Cancer Schmancer has their annual Fran Jam virtual concert series. And it's free to everyone around the world that can get to Fran Drescher FaceTime Live, Cancer Schmancer, I mean Facebook Live, Cancer Schmancer Facebook Live, the Nanny YouTube channel and uh, cancerschmanza.org. And it's going to stream here in the United States, 9 p.m. Eastern time and 6 p.m. Pacific time. So you do the math if you're anywhere else in the world. And that is this Sunday, June 20th. And it's free, but we certainly hope that you make a donation so we can continue to bring you the cutting edge information that few dare to do. But it's important that you hear all facets of the, you know, of the issue so that you can make an informed decision. And uh, I look forward to seeing everyone of your readers, listeners, viewers, uh, at uh, any one of those streaming um, new platforms. We will be there, friend. You've touched the lives of so many people and you're continuing to do it again through your advocacy work, especially what you're doing through Cancer Schmancer. I even love the name of your movement. And again, if you go on the website, cancerschmancer.org, there is so much material there a lot of things that people need to be thinking about. And uh, we will see you Sunday at 6 and 9, 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 9 Eastern. How can we be following you? Be, I know you sign up. People should be signing up for your newsletter on your website uh, or subscribe to the website. Is there any other thing that you need people to be doing to follow you? Uh, you know, we always welcome people to follow uh, on Instagram, uh, Cancer Schmancer. Uh, because that helps us to get uh, sponsor support because they see uh, that there are a lot of eyeballs that are following us. And um, and then also you can follow me at Official Fran Drescher on IG. And, uh, and then it's, uh, you know, Fran Drescher at Facebook and Twitter and Cancer Schmancer at uh, on, on Facebook as well. And, uh, you know, but definitely sign up to cancerschmanza.org. It's free. And you'll hear, you know, we don't bludgeon you with emails and things. Just enough that you hear what's going on, you get some important tips, and you gradually begin to modify your behavior so that you and your loved ones, including your pets, by the way, can live long and healthy lives. Fran Drescher, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us on the Balanced Voice podcast. We will be following you. We'll see you Sunday um, and we'll be following you long after. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was my absolute pleasure. And I, I'll see you Sunday. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's Balanced Conversation. You can find real solutions and tangible resources in our show notes at thebalancevoicepodcast.com. To join the conversation, follow us on Instagram at thebalancevoicepodcast. 
and on Twitter at balancedvoice underscore. Stay up to date on Runya's work by following her at The Runya Report. And we can't wait to see you next week for another Balanced Conversation.